Hello and welcome to Cannabis Grand Rounds, a production by physicians with advanced degrees in cannabis medicine. Your hosts, Dr. Lee Van Oker, Dr. Les Matthews, and Dr. Hal Altman, will offer unbiased medical cannabis education for healthcare providers and the motivated public. Our content is selected with the objective to fully explore cannabis as science and medicine and pledges to reflect current cannabis knowledge with no hidden agenda nor sponsorships. Hello and welcome back to Cannabis Grand Rounds. My name is Dr. Hal Altman. Joining me this morning is my co-host, Dr. Les Matthews, and our very special guest, Dr. Andrew Koop, who has been a guest on previous podcasts. We've invited Dr. Koop back to speak about a topic that uh, drives his professional research, that being the uh, possibility of, of using cannabis as either a placement or a mitigator uh, in the treatment of pain. For those who are not familiar with Dr. Koop, he's a professor in the Department of Pharmaceutical Sciences and Associate Dean for Academic Affairs at the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. He has a national reputation based upon his expertise uh, in developing and studying compounds that treat pain and specifically looking for alternatives to the current opiates in terms of creating a drug that uh, has reduced liability. Dr. Koop, welcome. Hey, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you, Dr. Altman. So, Dr. Koop, I uh, had a chance to, to take a look at your testimony before the U.S. Uh, Senate Help Committee. And for those who aren't sure uh, what HELP stands for, it's Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions. And that uh, committee convened a meeting in February of 2019 specifically to uh, address managing pain during the opioid crisis. And you were one of four or five experts that were asked to present. I wonder if you could just give us a little overview of what that was about and what you presented to the panel. Thank you. And it is a pleasure to be here. I would honestly say, and to all your listeners, that um, advocacy, especially in this field, um, is so critical as we move to professionalizing the field of cannabis. And it was, the only phrase I can come up with was surreal. Um, I was invited down to actually present to the Senate help, help uh, health, education, labor, and pension. And if this ever does happen to any of the speakers, um, I honestly would tell you that expect to do nothing the week before you go. Um, you also make a lot of friends. A lot of friends will contact you asking you and trying to, shall we say, nudge you to give certain opinions. But the whole point is you are invited because you are an expert. Now, the actual testimony was based called treatment of pain during the opioid epidemic. There was myself, there was a patient, there was a physician, and there was a person from the insurance industry. And many things were discussed. Um, one of the main discussion points was that with the current opioid epidemic, the regulations, or shall I say guidances, had become 
so tight in terms of the ability to prescribe opioids to patients that the pendulum had swung too far to tightening and not actually allowing patients the medications they need to treat their pain. So that was a major part of the um, testimony. However, my part of the testimony and um, Senator Lamar Alexander, who was the co-chair of the committee, asked me directly, very directly for a politician. And I'm paraphrasing a little, but he effectively said, what is the most promising new pain relieving agent coming down the road. Now, to my mind, I, I burbled a little bit, but what I actually said was cannabinoids. After a little bit of um, explaining what cannabinoids were, the whole of the committee, suddenly their eyes lit up and the number of the committee members, the politicians, these, the senators who wanted to talk about cannabis after I'd brought it up was incredible. They didn't want to bring it up, but once I'd brought it up, even Senator Romney was asking me directly about how can we move forward with cannabis. Well, that's fascinating. The fact that uh, you got their attention certainly speaks to maybe... We're entering a time period where advocacy is going to be effective in, in trying to present cannabinoids as an alternative. Now, Dr. Coop, your background, you schooled in England. You received your undergraduate degree and master's degree from Oxford, got your PhD in chemistry from uh, Bristol. And you, your mentor, if I understand, was uh, a John Lewis, who is the John Lewis who produced for us Suboxone and uh, was interested in alternatives to opiates for pain relief. Can you speak a little bit about him and his influence on you and how, uh, how that influence has driven your professional research interests? Oh, I would love to. Um, thank you for asking. John Lewis, John, he has probably had, outside my parents, he has probably had the biggest influence on my life and to where I am today. The system in England is a little different to the system here. You are actually told who you're going to work for. And I was told you're working for this guy, John Lewis. I had no idea who he was. But he is in the area of opioids, in the areas of development of pain medications, well known within the science community because he headed up Reckitt and Coleman. Reckitt's is the um, industry that own buprenorphine. He headed up drug discovery and therefore he is credited with the discovery of, and development of buprenorphine back in the 70s when it was developed as an alternative analgesic agent to morphine. The major, at the time, the major um, benefit of buprenorphine because, and I'm sorry about this, I'm going to mention science, because it's a partial agonist. There is a ceiling to the effects. It never reaches that point of um, respiratory depression that it becomes lethal. Now, yes, yes, there are deaths associated with buprenorphine, but in terms of the clinical use of buprenorphine, 
the major benefit and safety profile was the partial agonism so that you get less respiratory depression than you do with morphine, fentanyl, etc. Just to finish on that, he was the one that taught me. Well, until that point, I was a pure chemist. I'd never spoken to a clinician. I would have been scared to speak to somebody like you, Dr. Altman. Um, I just never would have thought about this. I never thought about things from the patient's point of view. I never thought about things from the fact that we need new medications. So he was the one that taught me to collaborate, interact with a diverse, diverse team, interact with people that do very different things to you because that is the only way that you can move forward and actually benefit society as a whole. So uh, in your pursuit of trying to find an opioid painkiller with no potential for abuse liability, you've used the terms uh, reinforcement and dependence as opposed to uh, addictive terms. Can you define those for our listeners? Yes, and this is where things get a little tricky um, because obviously within the DSM we have issues of substance use disorder defined. And in terms of defining addiction, people, because of the use of the term so loosely, it's almost lost all actual strict definition. When I am looking at developing a new medication, what I need to do is to be able to come up with clear hypothesis to ask a question based on a biochemical pathway. And if I am defining something of compulsive use despite negative, continued compulsive use despite negative consequences, that doesn't tell me which pathway is involved. Because if we think about continued compulsive use of a drug, a person could be continuing to use a drug because they want the rewarding effects, they want the high, shall we say. Alternatively, they could be taking that drug compulsively because stopping taking that drug would put them into withdrawal. Now, one of those effects is an acute effect for the rewarding, and that is reinforcement. And there are biochemical mechanisms behind reinforcement, release of dopamine. The withdrawal The withdrawal is actually dependence, physical dependence. Don't want to get into psychological dependence. This is withdrawal is dependence. Your body, your receptors have actually got used to the fact. So this is a chronic effect. Your receptors have adapted to have this drug around all the time. Just like, you know, those of you out there that drink coffee as much as I do, you become dependent on caffeine and you stop taking the caffeine. Your body's adapted to having it there. You stop taking caffeine, we all get the headaches because we are going through withdrawal. So this is what happens with opioids is you get an acute effect, which is gives you the rewarding effects. That's what I call reinforcing behavior through the dopamine. And we get the chronic effects, which are the 
the effect your receptors have actually been downregulated, phosphorylated, etc., to to give dependence and discontinuation of the drug would give withdrawal. We know both pathways, but both pathways are different because one's acute and one's chronic. So therefore, if we really want to develop an opioid with no abuse liability, we need to look at both pathways separately. That's wonderful. A wonderful summary. Thank you. So as it applies to sort of our, our original question, how cannabinoids might decrease the amount of opioid that we would need to take for pain relief or uh, even replace it. I wonder if we could speak a little bit about the potential, the theoretical potential of the cannabis compounds uh, to impact pain. And I'd like to specifically have you comment on THCBD and if, if you're interested, the terpenes. Certainly. So if we think about the opioids, before we get into the cannabinoids, opioids are pretty good. They're very good. They wouldn't be still used, but they're very good at treating acute pain. They're not as good. They're still used, but they're not as good at treating chronic pain. And this is a place where cannabinoids really do have a benefit. They can treat both types of pain, but they're especially useful in treating the chronic pain that doesn't get treated as well by opioids. Now, you mentioned both THC, and of course, if you've listened to the previous podcasts, we know all their side effects and everything like this, and CBD. CBD does not interact to any great extent. It does, but not to any great extent with the cannabinoid receptors. So this would be CB1, CB2. It does, but not to any great extent. If anything, it reverses and attenuates some of the psychoactive effects of THC. CBD interacts with a range of other biological targets within the body. And there is actually still, still arguments amongst the scientists of which biological targets actually is responsible, or is it many of them, for CBD's effects. But the one thing that becomes clear about CBD is that it has definite anti-inflammatory and protective actions. If we think about that, now, I've not mentioned treating pain, but that's because in chronic pain, many of the effects are actually exacerbated through the inflammation. So CBD is known to have this, these anti-inflammatory effects. Because of the anti-inflammatory effects, it certainly, absolutely has the potential to treat or to help attenuate the chronic pain. Now, Let's just get back to my testimony to the Senate Health Committee. What I was asked was, what should we do for cannabis? What is holding it back? And of course, there is the usual, um, you know, regulations, etc. But what's really holding back cannabis for the treatment of pain 
is that many of the trials that have been performed have done where the trials are not well designed. But on top of that, they're not using consistent material. So what I actually said in a way that the politicians would understand was we need good trials using good materials or a worse of that effect. And that's what we need. Now, THC activating the CB1 receptors does indeed have um, what we call antinociception, antinociceptive effects in animals. That's pain killing effects in animals. We know that CBD has anti-inflammatory effects. We know you mentioned the terpenes. The terpenes interact with a range of biological targets. Some of them have anti-inflammatory effects. Many of them have antioxidant effects. Again, that would help with inflammatory. So we know all these effects are there, but what we really need is consistent material so that we know what's within the material so that we can make consistent educated determinations because there are many individuals out there yes and if you read the national academy of sciences there is much there are many many individuals that cannabis is the answer but there are many studies out there that show that it's not quite as good but we can't actually make those determinations until we have consistent clinical controlled clinical trials with consistent material. Now, my prediction, Hal, is that yes, cannabinoids will have one role within the treatment of pain. It will be one role. Um, we're not going to be get rid of opioids. They're really good for acute pain. Um, we're not going to get rid of NSAIDs such as aspirin and um, ibuprofen, naproxen, etc. They are wonderful actually for pain. So it's going to be one more tool in the arsenal, but we need those clinical trials with consistent material to move forward. Which absolutely gets us to advocacy and, and the need for all of us who are in a position to opine on this, to, uh, to get the ears of the politicians and, and the, the public for that matter, uh, to have them understand what we need to do to get uh, cannabis rescheduled that will allow us then to do the definitive uh, scientific studies, randomized clinical trials, and so forth, um, that, that tells us exactly how useful it is and how to use it. Wonderful. The evidence that's out there uh, for cannabis, you happen to mention the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine, and in their 2017 report on the health effects of cannabis and cannabinoids, they actually uh, listed chronic pain as one of the indications that ev evidence supports. And, and to quote them, there's conclusive or substantial evidence that cannabinoids are effective for the treatment of chronic pain in adults. So we, we have at least that to go on. And uh, I, I think with the help of uh, you and many others, hopefully we can get this uh, compound rescheduled and we can start to do the definitive scientific trials uh, that will tell us exactly how and what we need to use to, to effectively have this be a tool for, for the treatment of pain. I, I couldn't agree with you more, but in addition to this, we need to determine what is the optimal 
uh, ratio or components within cannabis what is the optimal delivery method what is the optimal formulation and those are the sort of things that can only be done after we after we do these clinical trials and don't get me wrong hal i think as but i wouldn't have said it i wouldn't have said that cannabinoids to the senate if i didn't believe it um i do believe that this is wonderful especially for the treatment of chronic pain um, and is a wonderful alternative um, to give for the treatment of chronic pain we just need to ensure that we as i say professionalize it so that we no one thinks about it as an illegal drug no one thinks about it uh, or we change the history and we change the story about cannabis um, and i need everyone listening to this podcast to focus on the advocacy but focus on evidence based we can stand in front of the advocacy and say this is a wonder drug but we also need to admit that there are limitations um, that the studies are not there that thc does bind to g protein coupled receptors there is going to be dependence there is going to be withdrawal it's minor it's small but we need to admit it's there and only when we are open and honest and look at everything together and admit that there are negative sides as well as positive sides but that the positives outweigh the negatives that is what we need to move forward and Dr. Coop, are you or anyone at the University of Maryland, or uh, maybe you're aware of, of research elsewhere, looking at a, an alternative to THC uh, in terms of uh, its potential for reinforcement in the setting of treating pain? There are many individuals looking at this. I am not doing it myself, but there are individuals looking at the cannabinoids and alternatives to THC. Um, it's slow, and this is one of the reasons why we our focus is on ensuring that actual cannabis, because the question is, is do we come up with a single drug that mimics THC or do we actually need the entourage effect? The entourage effect is the inclusion of CBD and the terpenes, etc., for optimal um, um, outcomes. And until we can actually state those things, it's hard to come up with a, 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 a drug that just targets um, CB1. The thought is, as I said earlier, that CBD seems to attenuate, seems to dampen the psychoactive effects of THC. So that would tend to imply that we do need both within there for the optimal outcomes. The fact that we uh, potentially treat both pain and uh, it has an anti-inflammatory effect certainly, certainly uh, makes it very enticing. Dr. Coop, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your expertise and we uh, appreciate your style in being able to present this in an understandable form. We would love to have you come back at some point in the future to talk more about advocacy. I know that's uh, 
one of your distinct interests uh, to the point that you're actually developing a course uh, within MCST regarding advocacy. And I think that, that all of us would benefit from that information. So you've got a standing invitation to uh, join us for that or anything else that you'd like to speak about. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. I appreciate you inviting me here and I appreciate um, everything you do, Hal, and, and, and the rest of the team behind Cannabis Grand Rounds. I think you're doing a wonderful job and um, the best of luck and I will come back whenever you need me. I love this doing this. Thank you. That concludes this episode of uh, Cannabis Grand Rounds. We appreciate your willingness to Uh, Tune in, and we'll see you the next time. All information, material, and content on this podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for professional and or medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment by a qualified physician or healthcare provider. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. Cannabis Grand Rounds LLC does not offer personal health or medical advice. If you have a medical emergency, call your doctor or call 911 immediately.